So tonight we are continuing our series that's uh, called Kingdom Culture. It's the fifth week, and if you have been with us since the beginning, uh, you, you have looked at each of the first four blessings of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which comes in the book of Matthew in the New Testament starting uh, in chapter 5. And so the first four uh, Beatitudes or the first four blessings are really important that we track those as we arrive tonight at the fifth, which is mercy. There's a few things that I think it's important that we discuss and we talk about before we actually look at the text for tonight, and that is that we define what the word mercy is. I think we throw the word mercy around a lot, and we, we make it sometimes interchangeable with other words. So for instance, uh, mercy and grace are two different things. Sometimes I think we use mercy and grace in the same way, but they're two different words, and they mean two different things. So grace is unmerited favor. It is favor that is given based upon nothing that has been earned, or there's no deserving reason for why the person is receiving favor. So in the Bible, when it speaks about grace, it's particularly associated with sin, So when God looks at you and me and he pours out his grace, his unmerited favor, it is because we have done nothing to earn or deserve his love, his forgiveness, anything that he pours out in our life, we have done nothing to earn it or deserve it, specifically the forgiveness of our sin, which is what we will celebrate on Easter, right? That we can receive the grace of God because Jesus has paid the penalty that we deserve. So grace is God's unmerited favor poured out over us even though we've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. We cannot perform for it. We cannot be good enough. We cannot live right enough. It is grace poured out unmerited favor to us. But mercy is different. Mercy is compassion plus action. There's a difference there. That's really important. So grace is unmerited favor poured out over you specifically in regards to sin And mercy is actually focused more on the consequences of sin. So what sin brings into your life? It is compassion over those consequences. And there's action to either remove the punishment or to remove the consequence from the person. That would be mercy. Or to come to relieve the person's suffering as they're dealing with the consequences of sin in their life. And so the same is true of God here as well. God is merciful to you and to me. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, he does not give us what our sins deserve. That is mercy. He does not allow the full weight of the punishment and the consequences of our sin to be poured out to us because Jesus has taken that upon his shoulders on the cross. That is God's mercy. And God is also merciful in that when we're struggling through life because we live in a world that is broken and flawed and failed and we deal with the consequences of our sin and other people's sin all the time. God is also merciful because he comes to us in our pain, in our suffering, when we're struggling, and he will relieve suffering, even though we have not done anything to earn it or deserve it. It's not as if we we had a really good week and we were really good, therefore God was merciful. No, God is merciful time and time and time again in our lives, but the problem is we just don't always notice it, right? So grace and mercy are two different things. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is compassion plus action. And it's important to know as well that mercy is not forgiveness. Sometimes we use mercy like that as well, right? Like, I'm going to have mercy on this person, meaning I'm going to forgive them. Uh, That's not what uh, mercy is. Now, mercy can include forgiveness, surely. If you're going to withhold punishment or consequences to somebody, even though they've done something to earn it or deserve it, 
if you're going to withhold that punishment or you're going to come to relieve someone's suffering, there may be forgiveness involved, but it doesn't necessitate it. And if you're a parent, you know this, right? If your kid does something wrong, you may forgive them, but you may not be merciful. You may allow the punishment to be uh, enacted and brought into their life. You may actually even give the punishment for their discipline and for their training so that they may learn. So you may forgive them, but you may not be merciful. But there's other times as parents, you may say, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to be merciful, meaning I'm going to have compassion plus action to not allow the consequences to fall upon my child. So grace and mercy are two different things and uh, mercy and forgiveness are two different things as well. The second thing I think it's important for us to realize is not only what is mercy, which is compassion plus action, but how in the world can you live a merciful life? That's what Jesus is getting at here, and we're going to dive into in a moment. But we've been saying this throughout the entire series so far. If you think that you can just jump into any of these blessings, right? Jesus is coming to us here. He's saying, here's the culture of my kingdom. And the word blessing here means to find flourishing and happiness and fulfillment in life. If you want blessing, which we, we all want, you can't just jump in at any place and say, okay, I'm just going to be merciful. They go in order on purpose. So in order to see mercy be true of yourself, you can't skip the first four blessings or beatitudes. And if you've been with us, you can see the progression. First, you have to recognize your poor in spirit, meaning you're spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. You cannot earn his love. You can't be good enough. You can't perform for him because you're imperfect and God is perfect. And this is where in humility, you come to God looking for a savior and you receive his grace, right? His unmerited favor, which leads to the second blessing, which is mourning. When you begin to realize who you are in your condition, you can be honest about yourself. You can be honest about your sin and, and the things that you struggle with. And you can be honest about the things that you've done that have brought harm to yourself and harm to others. And you can mourn over that, which will bring comfort, interestingly enough. And then it moves to meekness. And meekness is the third blessing. And meekness, we said, is not weakness. It's actually power under control, which means when you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, you cannot earn God's love. You can only receive his grace and you mourn over sin and its consequences, you're honest with yourself, what happens is you, you no longer attach your identity to your image. So you know who you are, you know that you're flawed and you're broken, and so you allow people at times to point the flashlight at your darkness and agree with them. Like, yeah, I messed up, I make mistakes, I can own that. Or when they point the flashlight at something that maybe you disagree with, instead of retaliating and, and being defensive and justifying, you may... Uh, instead, in meekness, listen and say, well, I don't see that, but let's, let's talk about it. And that leads us to the one that we talked about last week, the fourth blessing, which is that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The easiest way to, to know what Jesus is saying here is that you're to hunger to live like Jesus. And we said that that's a struggle. Uh, you can't walk out of here tonight and think, I'm just going to live like Jesus this week. Uh, you're going to get about one second and uh, you're going to fail, right? <laughs> I'm going to fail. We're all going to fail. But you can struggle to live like Jesus by listening to Jesus. But as you listen to his people, as you gather together in his church, as you enter into a community group, you spend time listening to his word, as you pray, you can listen to Jesus and then struggle to live like him. It's important that you see that all four of those things are really, really vital to begin to live out the fifth blessing that Jesus talks about tonight, which is blessed are the merciful 
for they shall receive mercy. The first four are important and they're vital that you begin to, to pray about and think about and to process and see become true of your character so that this fifth blessing can also be true of you. And the reason is, is because if you don't have the first four blessings, poor in spirit, mourning over sin and its consequences, being meek and striving to live like Jesus, you're going to fall into the trap that I think we all fall into, which is you're going to focus on doing instead of being. You're going to take this and say, okay, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. I get it. I'm going to leave tonight and I'm going to go this week and just start being more merciful and then I'm good. And then I should experience the, the blessing and the flourishing and the happiness and, and the satisfaction and all the things that are promised here just by going and, and doing, by showing more mercy. And it's not what Jesus is saying. Or the gospel of Jesus puts all of its primary emphasis on being and not doing. That is really important to get. Just as a baseline of the Christian faith, the gospel is about being, not about doing. The focus is on your attitude. It's on your heart, not on your actions. Because your attitude drives your actions. And so what Jesus is actually saying here in the way that it's written is he's saying that blessed are the merciful meaning blessed are those who have a heart disposition and attitude of mercy, for they shall receive mercy. It is about being merciful, not doing merciful acts. It's a very important distinction. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor and a medical doctor, uh, so he somehow lived two lives in one, uh, he said this, a Christian is something before he or she does anything. A Christian is something before he or she does anything. It's about your being. It's about your heart and your attitude before any kind of actions will flow forth from there. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are you who is merciful. You have a heart of mercy. Your attitude is one of mercy, because from your attitude in your heart will flow acts of mercy. It's interesting, right, when you read uh, the Beatitudes, especially this blessing, none of the words are, are, on, are, are a mistake or just coincidence, or Jesus is like, I, I mean, okay, we're at the fifth blessing. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's very important what he says and what he doesn't say. Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who show mercy could have said that. You would have felt like that sounds good, right? Like, blessed are those who show mercy, for they shall receive mercy. doesn't say that. Why? Because what would we all do? We would all claim to be merciful because we have been merciful at times. Because there's been many instances, every single one of us in this room has been merciful before. We have done something where we have had compassion on someone and we have either uh, stepped into the gap to relieve suffering and to remove the consequence of the action, or we have refrained from action because our compassion has motivated us not to respond. So maybe you're at a restaurant and you order something and you have very particular orders and the food comes and it's not what you ordered, but you have compassion and you don't say anything, you just eat your food and you're like, bam, I'm merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy. Or you're on the elevator, right? 
How many of you are going to feel this one? You're on the elevator, and you're going down, and the doors open up, and there's people waiting, and they get on before letting you out. Like, have you never been on an elevator before? This is not how it works. But you're, you have compassion on them. Maybe they don't know. Maybe this is their first time on an elevator. So you don't say anything. You don't make a comment. You're compassionate. You don't retaliate. You're merciful. Great. I got it. You think to yourself, you know, I've, there's been times, Carter, where I've looked at somebody with compassion and uh, I've given them some money. So I'm merciful. There have been, there have been moments where my friend it's, have invited me to help them move. And I hate moving, but I did it. And I, there's actually been times, Carter, where I showed up to helping somebody move. Has this ever happened to you? And you show up and you think when you get there, everything's going to be in boxes. And they've packed nothing. You're like, what? wait, what? Like, no, 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 this is not how it works. You have the things in boxes. I move it into the truck. I don't pack your, like your laundry. But you have compassion, right? Because they're your friend. You don't say anything. You just help them pack and you help them move because you're merciful. Or someone says something that triggers you and offends you and, and you think to yourself, maybe they had a hard week, so I'm going to have compassion on them and I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be merciful. It's really important that we recognize that Jesus does not say, blessed are those who show mercy, because then we would claim to be merciful because there are moments and times in our life where we are merciful for one reason or another. And there are also times where we're merciful or we claim to be merciful because uh, there was a point where we felt entitled to a grudge towards somebody, where we were angry with somebody. They did something to hurt us or to offend us. And then after a little bit of time, they, they showed some remorse and they started to kind of work on it. And so we have compassion for them. And then we show mercy by maybe entering back into the relationship or or, or continually not keeping the conflict because they've done something to earn it, so we're merciful. It's like, like, if you show a little bit of remorse, if you work on it, then I will give you mercy. I will show you compassion, and I will act. But that's not mercy either. Mercy, being merciful, is not just showing mercy in insignificant ways in your life, and being merciful is not showing mercy or forgiveness at times to somebody because they've done something to earn it or deserve it. Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor and an author, he says, mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. Notice he separates the two. Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. I love here that he says that, that mercy is free and unmerited compassion. It's free and unmerited. So if mercy is compassion plus action, that compassion is free and unmerited. It's not because somebody showed some remorse. It's not because they did something to earn your mercy or your compassion towards them. It is free and it is unmerited. Jesus provides a very clear picture of mercy uh, in Matthew chapter 9 in the New Testament. He tells this story. And it goes like this. He's talking about uh, an encounter that he had as he's at a dinner party with friends. And he's eating uh, dinner with a bunch of friends or sitting around a table. And the people that he's eating with are, are called in the society sinners. It's their label. They've assumed this label as sinners because they don't do the right things. They don't live the right way. They keep making all these mistakes according to the religious establishment. 
So religious leaders, anybody that would consider themselves holy and following after God, would have no association with these people. They would not eat with them. They would not talk with them. If they're walking on the street, they would not make eye contact. And yet Jesus is eating dinner with these people, and they're having a meal together. And the religious leaders are walking by the house that he's at, and they notice that Jesus is inside. And, and they have problems with Jesus because he's this teacher, but he claims to be God in the flesh. He claims to be the, the Savior and the Messiah. And so they see this, and they're like, wow, there's no way the Savior and the Messiah would eat dinner and spend time with people like this. No good religious person would do this. Nobody following after God would spend any time with these people. And so they're, they're, they're very cowardly people. And so they gather together uh, one or two of the disciples that are outside, and they have a conversation with the disciples. They're afraid to actually say anything to Jesus. And, and they say to the disciples, what's his deal? Does, does Jesus not know who he's eating with? He's eating with sinners. He should not be associating with them. And the text tells us that Jesus hears this because they didn't realize who they're messing with in the moment, right? They're outside, cowardly, kind of gossiping and talking. And Jesus hears this. And I imagine him sitting at the dinner table saying, hey, guys, I'm going to be right back. I got to handle something, okay? Real quick, just, so you know, don't pour me another glass of wine. I'll be back in a second. I got to go handle this. So he gets up and he goes outside because he's not going to allow these religious leaders to pollute the gospel of mercy. And so he goes to them and he says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn. I love that. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying to them, you, you think to yourself that because you're quote-unquote religious, because you're doing all the right things, because you're trying to keep up this appearance like you never make any mistakes, because you're sacrificing, that somehow that God desires that, he desires your performance, he desires you to, to make other people feel like they're not living up to your standards because you're very holy and you're really following after God. God does not desire sacrifice. He desires mercy. And he, he looks at them and, and he pits here, which is interesting, mercy against sacrifice. Now, obviously, God desires sacrifice and Jesus perfectly exemplifies that because he is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice, and he's asking us to trust him at times to sacrifice things in our life. But what God desires our heart to be is a heart of mercy. And notice how he, he speaks of it here. He says that the attitude of the heart, the attitude that God is interested in, is one that identifies as sick and needing healing and as a sinner. God's heart does not desire the person that says, hey, I'm good because I've, you know, I've done all these religious things and I'm really trying to live really well and because I'm trying really hard, therefore God is going to love me and pour out his favor and his blessings upon me. That is self-righteousness. That is relying on your sacrifice for God's love and for his forgiveness and for his mercy. But that is not how God operates and that's not what God desires. The heart of God is compassion that is free and unmerited, and then God acts. And so what he desires is the person that says, you know what, I'm not merciful. I'm going to be honest. 
Like, I, I, I'm, I'm sick, and I need healing. I need a doctor. Sounds a lot like poor in spirit, right? That I'm, I'm flawed. I'm broken. I know I have nothing to offer God. And also the person that identifies as a sinner, not the person that identifies as righteous. Well, look at me. Look what I've done. Look at those people. Don't, don't associate with those people. Don't hang out with those people because they're not doing the right thing. No, no, no. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm broken. I need a savior. I need rescue, which sounds like being honest about yourself and being capable of mourning over your own sin. Jesus desires and God's heart is for those that are desiring mercy, that have been claimed by God's mercy. Free, unmerited compassion has been poured out. And when that is poured out to your heart, it shows up in your actions. I want to say this again because I think it's really important to get. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the primary emphasis is on being and not doing. It is on being, it's on your attitude and your heart because your attitude drives your actions. Another way of saying that is that you can live out a lifestyle of mercy only by allowing and recognizing that God's mercy, his free unmerited mercy has been poured out to you, that God has been compassionate with you, that you were a sinner and that you were sick and yet God has healed you. Only then can you actually live a lifestyle of mercy. You can listen to as many sermons as you want you can go to as many different church services. You can go to as many Bible studies and join different community groups, and you can read your Bible every single morning. And what can happen if you're not careful is that you can fall into this trap, like the Pharisees did, right, of thinking that Christianity is about living Christian. Have you ever been there? You're like, I'm a Christian. And Christianity, then, is about me living like a Christian. I need to live better. I need to do better. And so you, you listen to sermons, you read the Bible, and you go to Bible studies, not to see your heart transformed, but to see your actions transformed. Because you assess your actions, and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing a lot of things right, so I need to fix it. I need to work on it. I need to make it a little bit better. But the Christian life is not about trying to live better. It's not about trying to live like a Christian. That's really important to get. Because then you read this, this blessing and you think, I'm just going to go be merciful. It's going to do it. And it's not going to work out. And it's going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Christianity isn't about trying to live Christian. It's about reminding yourself that you are a Christian. It's a big difference there. Christianity is not about trying to live Christian. It's about reminding yourself that you are a Christian, that you have been claimed by Christ. That is your identity. That is your standing. The same is true here of this, this beatitude, this blessing. If you think that you can just go out and be merciful, you're going to fail. But if you recognize that it's not about you being merciful, about you doing acts of mercy, it's about you recognizing that you have received mercy, that that is now the disposition of your heart because God is forming that in you. It is so important to recognize and to remember that our actions, they flow from our attitude, not our application. Our actions flow from our attitude, not our application. Not listening to something and then writing out a five-step program and then just going and doing it. It doesn't work. It's our attitude. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Galatians. It took me a long time to, to understand what he meant when he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
It's really interesting the way he puts that. Because what the Apostle Paul is saying is it's not about me, me, Paul, trying to live better, trying to be a better Christian, trying to perform for God. It is not about that. It is about me recognizing that I am defined by Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It is the Spirit of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who is the very center of me, defining me, reorienting my attitudes, reorienting my affections. And when I recognize that, when I see that, that I am defined by Christ and the Holy Spirit living in me, it then will change my actions because God is changing my attitude. I'm recognizing what I am and who I am, that I am defined by Christ and that the Holy Spirit is the one that controls me. It can be so easy in life, right, to, to think that Christianity is just an aspect of you. It's like Christianity is just one of the many descriptives in your Instagram profile, right? I'm a runner, coffee snob, I love flowers, Christian, right? It's just like one of the things. We have all these things that we love, that we like to describe ourselves as, all these interests, and Christian is just one of them. But if you're a Christian, if you trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and you have received his grace, and you understand his mercy, that is free, unmerited compassion to you that has showed up in action, then Christianity is not an aspect, it's not a descriptive of many other descriptives. It is your whole identity. It is everything. It is every aspect of you. It is the baseline, the root of your heart. It is so vital for us to understand that. And if you're here, whether or not you've become a Christian in one moment and you can look back to the day or whether it was a process like me where you just kind of like one day wake up and you're like, wow, I think I really believe all this. I don't know how that happened, but I'm here. All of us that are in that place have noticed something, and that is that your affections and your desires of your heart have changed, right? Have you experienced that? All of a sudden, your affections have changed. Your desires have changed. You no longer want to do certain things, and now you want to do certain things. You thought the Bible was the most boring thing ever, and now you're like, I, I want to keep reading it. I don't know why. I always want to do a study on Revelation, right? It's like all these things begin to change in you. And here's what, here's what doesn't happen. It's not as if you're like, man, you know, when I became a Christian, then I just told myself, I'm going to live like a Christian. I'm just going to be better. And then all of a sudden, I just really started focusing on it. I had all these flashcards. I had all these steps. I really just started working on it. And now I've just really improved myself. It doesn't happen like that. All of a sudden, you begin to realize that your heart is changing, your affections are changing, your desires are changing. And what happens when God changes your desires because he's claimed your heart and the Holy Spirit is controlling and defining you? Your actions change because God is working in you because your attitude drives your actions. We have to be very careful not to think that it's the other way around, that it's our application that allows our actions to change. We need to remember that we are made merciful by allowing God's mercy poured out to your heart to define you, to control you, that, that you sit there and you think to yourself, okay, here's what you're saying to me, Jesus, in this blessing, blessed are the merciful. God, I have received your mercy. It has been unmerited, free compassion that you have poured out over me, and that is what has claimed my heart. That is my desire, is to understand that. 
And now my actions will flow from that as I recognize that I have received the mercy of God. That will open up a pathway for me to actually live out a life of mercy. I love um, this really famous story in the Gospel of Luke. There's a lawyer, and this lawyer uh, comes up to Jesus, and the lawyer wants to test Jesus. This is what all lawyers do. Uh, For those of you here that are lawyers, always asking questions to test, you know? So this lawyer comes up to Jesus, and it's a sincere question, and the lawyer says to Jesus, hey, um, I want to know how I can have eternal life. This is the question that we all ask, right? One, is there eternal life? And then two, how do I find it? So the lawyer asked Jesus this question, how can I find eternal life? And the lawyer is uh, very quick. There's no, uh, you know, no surface level conversation. Another thing the lawyers do is they jump right to the point, right? How do I find eternal life? Jesus. Jesus flips it around and Jesus says to this lawyer, well, you've read the law. You've read the Old Testament. What do you think it says? What do you find? How would you summarize it? You're very well read. You're studied. You know the Old Testament. And you, you've seen the heart of God. What do you think? The lawyer feels pretty good about and they respond. The Lord responds with this. They say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Jesus responds to the lawyer, you're right. The very heart of God, the basic the, the, the baseline, the foundation of the Christian faith is love God and love others. And the order is very important, right? Love God with all of your heart, your heart, and then from there, your actions will flow to love to others, specifically love to your neighbor. And so the lawyer is processing this and receiving this, and uh, the very natural follow-up question, because it says in the text that the lawyer wants to justify himself. He wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing, that he's living the right way. Okay, I got it. Love God, love others, but like, who am I supposed to love? His question is, who is my neighbor? That's a very important question, right? Do I have to like love everybody? Or who's my neighbor? Who are the, because I want to get that part right. Loving God, easy, I got it. Loving my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Similar to the question I think we ask when we read uh, the Beatitudes and the blessing. I got it. Okay. Receive the mercy of God. Changes the attitude and affections of my heart. Now act in mercy towards others. But who am I supposed to act in mercy to exactly? Who am I supposed to have compassion towards? So Jesus tells a story and he says, there was a man and this man was walking on, on a road alone from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as this man is walking along the road, uh, there are some robbers that jump and grab the man. And they, they take his clothes off and they beat him almost to death. And he's bloodied and he's dying. And they, and they leave the man on the side of the road to die, literally to die. And then it says a priest walks by. And you think to yourself, well, this is good. Because certainly the priest loves God. Therefore, the priest will love others. And it says the priest walks right by. On the other side of the road, the priest maybe thinks to himself, I've got other people to deal with. Stings for that man, but I got somewhere to go. I got things to do. 
Okay, so then we have a Levite that comes up next, and, and a Levite would have been a religious person who was involved in the temple, would have been serving and doing things for God. So certainly, okay, we missed out with the priest. That was weird. But now we're on the Levite. This person is already serving and loving other people, loves God, loves others. Here's a dying person on the road. Levite walks right by. And then a very interesting and unlikely person stops, and that person is a Samaritan. They're walking along the road. The Samaritan sees the dying man, and it says that the Samaritan has compassion. Now, this man has done nothing to earn or deserve compassion. This was free and unmerited compassion, and this compassion results in action. It's not as if he's just walking. It's like, man, I feel so bad for that dying man right here, but I got somewhere to go, like the Levite and the priest. That compassion leads him to action. The disposition of his heart, which is one of mercy, leads to him acting in mercy. And it says that he binds up his wounds. He puts wine and oil to help them heal. Then he takes the man and he puts him on his donkey and he begins to walk him to the closest village. And this is really peculiar as well because a man who's dying is Jewish and this man is a Samaritan. And they are not supposed to encounter each other, talk to each other, be around each other at all. Everything in society says, do not talk, do not associate. You are mortal enemies. And yet the Samaritan who embodies this blessing, blessed are the merciful, has a heart and an attitude of mercy. Free, unmerited compassion that results in action. And he brings them to the end. And he pays for the man to be taken care of there so that he will be healed. It's going to take some time. And then he says, I'm actually going to come back too, and I'll give more money in case it will cost a little bit more. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer, and he says, who do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man dying on the road? And it's a pretty obvious answer. The lawyer says, well, it was the Samaritan. And then Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and love your neighbor, which is anyone who crosses your path. This is who we are to show mercy to. This is who you are to show love to. It's not as if the Samaritan was uh, at some talk or was listening to a Bible study or was uh, listening to a sermon and heard that he needed to be merciful. And so he said, well, listen, the only way I can be merciful is find an opportunity to be merciful. So I'm just going to go randomly walk down this road and look for somebody to be merciful to. Oh, there's a dying man. This is perfect. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to care for the dying man. And then I'm going to drop him at the end. So I'm merciful. I did it. I'm good. He was just living his life. And the, the thing that differentiates him between the priest and the Levite is that his actions were not what defined him. He was not merciful because he stopped one time. He had a heart of mercy. He felt compassion that led him to action. We're, it's interesting, we're never told what the priest and the Levite think, but surely they felt pity. I mean, how can you not see someone dying on the side of the road and not feel pity, not feel something? But it didn't lead to action. Because their heart was not a heart of mercy. It was not a heart of compassion. But for the Samaritan, it was. Mercy is compassion plus action, which means mercy is not just feeling bad for someone. Mercy isn't having a bleeding heart. 
Mercy is compassion plus action. And I want to close with, with this. This is so important for us to remind ourselves of because this is what will claim your heart and allow mercy to show up in your life is when you recognize that the greatest picture of mercy is found in Jesus Christ. God looked at our situation, your situation and my situation, our suffering, our propensity to mess things up, our ability to incite violence, our ability just to break things and to choose the wrong thing time and time and time again. And God did not sit up there and say, oh my goodness, why do they keep doing that? I really wish they'd figure it out. God had compassion. And God's compassion led to action because God became flesh. And he experienced our brokenness and he lived through it without falling prey to it. And that compassion led Jesus Christ all the way to the cross, where on the cross he assumed our brokenness and our guilt and our shame and our sin, and he paid for it. And he was put in the grave, and three days later he came forth victorious to say, listen, I am in fact God in the flesh. I am in fact the Messiah and the Savior. And you can rely now on the fact that mercy has triumphed over judgment. You are free. You are forgiven. You are loved your shame, your guilt, your brokenness, it is done away with. Your heart is now through faith in Christ claimed and identified and controlled by God's mercy that has already been poured out to you. That's who you are. So you're free to now be merciful as your attitude and your affections are directed back to God's mercy. You can then be merciful to others. You see, you and me were the dying person on the side of the road who has done nothing to earn or deserve God's compassion, his mercy, and yet Jesus has bandaged us up. He has healed our wounds, and he has not taken us to an inn and dropped us off. He has taken us into his kingdom, and he has said, this is yours. For all eternity, you are here with me, and I want you to understand the value of my kingdom. You have received mercy Now go and be merciful. Will you pray with me?